Well, at least I feel like today I have a, a fit setting to preach. I finally, they you know, gave me a background that uh, fits, I think. Uh, <laughs> okay. What a glorious day out it is. If you love summer, this is it. It doesn't get any better, folks. Here on earth, that is. But uh, what a great song that was, too. Thank you. These guys, uh, it was beautiful. It really is, with the band. And I love songs like that, that focus upon Scripture. You know, that scene in heaven in the book of Revelation is where that's from. And we just, we just don't have any idea what it's really going to be like. We are so stuck in the physical we are so stuck in this place, which is a beautiful world that God created, but we forget that something is so much greater and bigger coming. And we talked about that for about three weeks, in a sense, when we, we looked at uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, didn't we? The difference between getting caught up in the world, which is a system actually opposed to God, and being with our hope on Christ for the future. That's, that's where our future lies. Our future doesn't lie in the next however long we have, 15, 20, 30, 40, one day. We don't know. That's not where our future lies. Our future lies in that song we were singing where we're going to see Christ face to face. We just finished yesterday in the men's ministry the book of Revelation. We spent about a year and a half on it. And that's a book that we shouldn't be afraid of. Christians many times are afraid to get into Revelation and say, no, it's a book that we are to read. And it is understandable. You know, if we try to, you know, spiritualize everything and, and you know, uh, do all these types of uh, interpretations, yeah, we can. But if we look at the book as Scripture, the words of Jesus, and we look at them clearly for what they're saying, there are some, it's apocalyptic literature. Yes, it is, and it's very descriptive kind of literature. But it's wonderful, and I, I, I think the guys really got something out of this study. I know I did. Studying for it, oh, it's just, it's amazing. And it just... It's a book that reminds us that we have a future in Christ. And I, 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 I look at that song and I, I, I think of some of the words it talks about how awesome is God. And again, as Christians, let's not lose the reality of who God is. He is the creator. He's the eternal God. You know, we need to focus upon him. We need to keep our perspective right that he is awesome. And in a sense, he's a mystery because we can never fully understand him. We can never totally comprehend him. But as someone said, we can apprehend him. And we can understand enough to have a relationship, to be saved and to be in part of his kingdom. Anyway, all that, just I, I appreciated that song, David. Thank you in the band with the Stephanie and the Camelonis. They, uh, you added a lot. Thank you. Uh, also, I just, off the cuff, I want to uh, just mention that Sid Williams celebrated his 96th birthday this past Wednesday. 96 years. He's out there. He usually likes to sit out there out in the lobby and he listens to the service but I think about that he is a man who's 96 years old in fact Sid hello <laughs> yeah and at 96 Sid is there at every men's ministry morning he buys a dozen donuts from Dunkin Donuts and he buys the coffee for the guys He's there every other, other, every other Saturday when we meet. Wednesday night, Sid is there for the Bible study and prayer meeting. Sunday mornings, 
Just look back there, you'll see Sid. And just a quick story. Uh, yesterday morning, I went to Dunkin' Donuts because Sid he was getting ready for his birthday party that he was having, and his whole family was there, so Sid wasn't making the Ben's ministry morning. And I walked in and I said to the woman, can I have a dozen donuts and two extra large coffees, black, no sugar. And she looked at me and she said, there's a man who comes in here all the time and orders that. Are you, is he okay? Are you ordering for him? I said, yes. I said, it's just that he's, he can't make it today. I said, so I'm picking him for And she started praising him. I'm telling you, she just, and it was, it, was, it was great because I was thinking as Christians, this is how we need to relate to people. She just kept saying, he's such a wonderful man. She said, he's so nice. I love talking to him. She, I mean, this woman was, in fact, at one point, she kept going on and on about him. And I looked at her and I said, are you talking about Sid Williams? I, I, was, I was confused for just for a moment. And then she said, yes, yes. I, okay, I just, I, I had to confirm that. I was getting a little bit confused. But anyway, and she said, can I give him a birthday donut? So she took... He, Sid's favorite donut is plain crawlers. And she took a plain crawler and she used one of those baking, uh, what they write with for baked cakes, and she wrote, Happy B-Day, Sid on it, put it in a little special box. And she said, please, could you give this to him before you go to the church? I said, sure. So, and, but I was just thinking, those are the types of relationships as Christians we should be having. We should be relating to people in the world. You know, I have to believe that she isn't a Christian. I, I, she seems to be either from, either from the Middle East or India, I'm not sure. But she's from a different culture. She probably comes from a country with different religion. But yet, she says, there's something about this man that I just find so bad. That's wonderful witness. And I just... Sid's doing that at 96 years old. We better be doing our job, I'll tell you that, as far as our witness to the world. So now that uh, I've been going on, let's get to our study. And uh, if you would, please turn to 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to be starting at verse 18 today. And... I don't know how far we'll get, but we might get to verse 27 if we move along. Okay. Now, John here has a purpose in this letter. And if you remember, and today I want to just take five minutes to give a kind of a whole synopsis of this letter and show you some verses on what John's purpose is here. We said it before that there were heresies that were coming into the church, that it was an early form of Gnosticism. John's writing probably around A.D. 90, and as he's writing, he's trying to... It's funny because what he does is he doesn't really attack the heresies. What he does is clarify... Christian beliefs. He starts, if you remember, we said he started in chapter 1 and he clarified doctrines, the doctrine of Christ, the deity and the humanity of Jesus as he begins. And then he takes and he clarifies the doctrine of sin, that we as human beings are sinful, that we have a problem with sin. And after that, in chapter 2, he starts to go to moral issues where he talks about a real, true Christian obeys God's Word. God, it's, it's something we want to do. In fact, evidence of being a Christian should be that we want. It's not like, oh, I got all these set of rules. No, it's I want to please the Master. And knowing that as we follow God's laws, what's... what's happens to us we're blessed we have peace we see the fruit of the spirit love is present joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control all these things occur as we walk 
as Jesus walked in obedience. Jesus had perfect obedience to the Father, and we in turn should be, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And John emphasizes obedience, our moral responsibility. And if you have the doctrine right, then the proof of that is how we live. You know, it's, you can have the doctrine right, but if you're not living with it, well, then it's just an intellectual exercise. You might have that intellectual assent and say, yeah, I believe it. But the proof is how we live always, our lives. Do you examine your lives? Do we examine our lives continually? Do you, do you take time every day to, to stop and say, how am I living right now? What, how am I thinking today? Where is my thinking at? Is it in the world, that system that's against God, and I'm getting caught up in the things of the world? Maybe even the music of the world, the entertainment of the world? Or is my focus upon God? Like I said, are, are we constantly in, in communion with God? I told you about the little monk, Brother Lawrence. Uh, a, bare, he was part of the barefoot Carmelites, they were called, back in the 17th century, I believe he was in. And Brother Lawrence wrote that little booklet, you know, practicing the presence of God. And his whole life's focus was upon, I want to be aware of God every moment, he said. Now, if you should ever read that, look, some of his theology is not, is not all there. But you don't, as to use a corny old expression, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You, you have to do that even with uh, theological commentaries. There's some men who are brilliant when it comes to certain areas, like William Barclay, when it comes to the culture, when it comes to the languages. It's fantastic. And the history but as far as his doctrine of Christ and of miracles and things, it, he, he's a mess. In fact, it's hard to believe. How can this man be so far off when he has so much together? But it happens. So we have to always use discernment when we, when we look at things to uh, compare to the Bible. So John does that, and then he talks about the present, the, the, uh, moral principle of love in our lives. He talks about obedience and love, that those are the two, two evidences that you're walking as a Christian. And these are the very things that he's talking about that those who were, who were promoting this very early beginnings of Gnosticism in Doceticism and Serinthianism, the two that are evident here in this, those are the very things that they go against basically these things so John is trying to build that case with them that and show them and then he reminds them if you remember he says don't worry you're a Christian he says my remember he says I write to you dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name he's letting them know you're Christians don't get confused because when you're hearing a whole other story of how you should be living these people were getting confused Wait a minute, I, we, we learned this in the scriptures that, that they had at the times, you know, the parchments and the letters of, of, and the gospels, the beginning of these gospels. And he says, but these people are telling me, no, no, I have to do this. And they were infiltr uh, you know, in, infiltrating the church. So anyway, we went on and then last week we saw John shows the difference between a Christian and the world. And he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And again, we, I spent much time talking about that the world is the system opposed to God. So today, let's look at now the next portion that John deals with. And John has, is, is, is fighting against this early Gnosticism at this period of time. And the two, the main part here, and I, I want to just give that, make it clear, is that matter is evil. All matter is evil. And anything spirit is good. That was what they said. It's called dualism. And they really emphasized that. Their idea of salvation was that salvation 
is not by faith in Christ. Salvation itself is escaping from the body ultimately. It's to escape from this sinful matter and become spirit. So there's no need to put your faith in Jesus like that. And how do you, how do you escape from this body? By special knowledge. And guess who has this special knowledge? Special people who come and teach about it and have you come and follow them. They would come to the church, most likely from as we read on, we'll see that they're coming to the church and they're spreading this, this, these heresies and they're drawing people away from the church and the people are leaving the church. Now let me make one thing clear when John talks about this later, about they left us, he says. This is not the same thing as in church where people might have disagreements. They might have uh, not agree with things in any way. You know, we're, we're all sinners. We have sometimes we don't work out things the way we should. And people leave. That's not what John's talking about when he talks about the Antichrist later, the Antichrists. He's talking about these heresies that these teachers who came in and drew people away, and John is going to say that they really weren't part of the fellowship because they just left so easily to follow these heretical teachings like this. Another thing that these, these Gnostics did is that they denied Christ's humanity. They didn't say, if you remember, we talked about this just a little bit, that Jesus was not in the flesh. He was he had the impression, he had the appearance of a human body. But in reality, he was really just a phantom. And they would have the reports and stories how Jesus, they saw him walk along the beach. And he didn't leave footprints because he didn't have a physical body. So he didn't leave any footprints on that. He appeared to have a body, that they say. Also, what they said was that Christ, the man while he was baptized, was filled with the, the divine Christ. But just before he went to the cross and died, that divine Christ left him again. And this naturally totally would cancel out the atonement, if you think about it. If Jesus was not human in the first place, he wasn't a real man. Well, think about it. Paul calls Christ the second Adam. Remember, Adam came to represent the human race. He represented us. And what happened? He failed. I and mean, we know why he failed. It was his wife's fault is why he failed. But I don't want, I don't want to go here. I don't want to have any protesters out here tomorrow now going to all these groups and stuff. You know, he shouldn't have listened to his wife. That's what the problem... <laughs> But actually, we know Adam failed because Adam was the head of that family and he should have never let it. From what we gather, Adam was there. In fact, Larry Crabb, Dr. Larry Crabb once wrote a book called The Silence of Adam. And it's all about men's role is taking leadership and being the head and leader of their house. And that Adam was silent when Eve went through this and then she said, try it, it's... It's not only pleasing to the eye, it tastes good. And Adam grabbed it and took it. He failed. He failed the test. But Christ came and he was the second Adam and he lived that perfect life. For who? Us. You know, Jesus, Jesus couldn't just come down, get on the cross, die and go back up. He had to live a perfect life in our place. That's why we can have the righteousness of Christ ultimately in that dual exchange because Christ lived the perfect life. He imputes it to us and we in turn, you know, his, he, it's our sins. They're imputed to him, that double exchange on the cross. But they had to sow this, these heresies, as you can see, if you follow these, you're not going to be saved if this is what you believe when we know that salvation is by grace alone through faith in God. He also just quickly add that they believed that the body was to be treated harshly. 
It's sinful anyway, you know, live hard. Don't, don't be afraid of just treating the body harshly. Paul actually talked about that in Colossians in chapter 2, verse uh, 22, I believe, or around there, 21, I think, to 23. He, he talks about, you know, he says about, you know, being harsh on the body, like that thinking that that's a spiritual way, you know, to, to punish the body in a sense that it's going to make you more holy. You know, you're gonna, it's more admirable and more, uh, it'll bring us closer to God like that. And finally, this dualism leads, leads to a very immoral life, a very loose-lived life, the, or licentious, we can say, life, where this moralism, because think about it, the body's sinful, there's nothing you can do about it until you escape from it, so there's really no such thing as sin, so we really don't need, you know, the sacrifice of Christ ultimately like this because their body was breaking and they weren't breaking any moral laws of God in a sense. So all these things John is trying to deal with. So look at John's purpose here. Look at two, uh, chapter 2, verse 26 for a moment, would you please? Please, I should say, instead of, I'm not trying to boss you. Look at this. <laughs> Okay, chapter 2, verse 22. The first thing he does is want to expose these teachers, John. Verse 26, he says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. So here's John's purpose for this book. He wants to keep you from being led astray, he tells us. And then, if you remember... I've used this a couple times. In chapter 5, verse 13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing this to assure them that if you believe in the name of the Son of God, if you have your faith in Christ, you're saved. He says, don't go by all this other stuff. Don't go by those people in... 226, who are leading you astray, he says. And then he makes it the point to say that Jesus is God incarnate. Let's read chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, because he also says in verse 4 that if he is successful in convincing you, it's going to bring great joy to them ultimately. In verse 1 he says, that which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. So here he's laying down the doctrine of Christ. He's saying here that they've heard him, they've touched him, they've seen him. He's a real man, he is. But he was also from the beginning because he was almighty in eternal God. He was the infinite God. And then he says, the life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, that's Jesus, and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Do you hear what John's saying? He's saying, knowing that you get it, that you're sound in the right doctrine of Christ, and part of our fellowship, he says, that brings me joy. And some of your versions may say, give you joy. Well, in a sense, they're going to be joyful because they're part of it, and in the end, John is going to be joyful because he knows that they're saved like that. So let's look at our verse for a minute here now. In chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists has come. I'm going to see how far I can go with this. If I have to break it, I'll break it for next week. That's all. I won't keep you here too long. Okay. He says, dear children, he says, this is the last hour. Now, that whole idea of the last hour... Basically, what the Bible presents is there's two periods of history. There's before the Messiah and then 
during the Messiah until the end time. So history is broken up. Think about our calendars. Now they've changed it. They call it before the common era. But remember how many years, for centuries, it was B.C., before Christ. And what was it after that? Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. That's when they say the last days, they're talking about the days of the Messiah coming and being his first advent until his second advent. It's the last time. And why is it the last days? Because there's nothing after that except eternity. So there isn't any more human history in a sense. There's that period of time where all the prophets in the Old Testament are talking about right from Genesis 3.15, talking about the Messiah who will come and taking it right through then to his birth and his life, death, resurrection, ascension to heaven, and then these last days because the next big event is Christ returns. Revelation chapter 19, Jesus returns on his second return like this. So this is the way, and if you read through, you'll see Paul many times, uh, he talks about in Corinthians, these last days. Or in Galatians 4, he says, uh, in the fullness of time, he uses words like that. And uh, Hebrews, how does the book of Hebrews start? He says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many, time, at many times and in various ways, he says. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Okay, so he says there was that period, the past. That's when the prophets were speaking to the, to the people of God about the Messiah. But then he says, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. So these are the last days in a sense. And it's also, it should also remind us that God doesn't want us to know when he's coming. He's made that clear. He told, remember when the disciples, that when he was ready in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, ready to ascend, they said, Lord, are you, you going to now bring in the kingdom? Is the kingdom coming now? You know, they were ready to throw out Rome and start this, the idea of a millennial kingdom. You know, they knew about that there was a period of time where the Messiah would make things all right in Psalm 2, and he's going to, you know, he'll rule with an iron scepter where Jesus is in full power and it's his kingdom. And that's in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. It talks about the millennium, the thousand years reign of Christ before then he creates the new heaven and earth. We were looking at that this morning, kind of the preview of that. They're wonderful. Uh, anyway, so he talks about this is the last hour. And think about it. Jesus said, he said that he's going to come. Anybody remember how? Like how? Thief in the night. Yeah, exactly. And what do we know about a thief? He comes in the night when we're not ready for him, right? And Jesus is saying, I'm not telling you. But the Bible also says, Peter talks about it, and John even says later on, what kind of life should we be living that should spur us on to holiness? Because I better get my act together because Jesus might come in 10 minutes from now, you know, and if we're engaged in things we shouldn't be engaged in, what if he came? Now, if you're a Christian, you're not going to lose your salvation, but you're going to be ashamed. The Bible says you don't want to be ashamed when Jesus comes. You want to say, oh, Lord, you're here. You know, and then fall down and worship him. But, you know, maybe you'll get that in before you fall down. You know, just, Lord, yes, you're here. You know, and uh, so we need to be living every moment I think I said this last week. I was talking about that yesterday. We need to be living to, with the reality, because it is a reality, Jesus is going to come back like that. And it says what? That the sky is going to just lightning. In other words, it's going to be absolutely a second, a millisecond, or however they 
they break the seconds up now today. But I won't ask you, Nick. <laughs> I'm not going to put that spot. Okay. <laughs> but they break them up into all these little minute parts of a second. That's how it's going to be. It's going to be over in a second when he comes. And we have to ask ourselves, are we ready for that? Are we living like this is my last day? Because if Jesus doesn't come back, guess what? We might die. You know, I might take my last breath and go, Phew. and then I'm going to see the Lord face to face. You know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we better be ready. We better remember there's a reason why they talk about Jesus says in Revelation, he says, I am coming soon. He says, be ready. Don't fall asleep. Remember the ten virgins? He talks about the power. But what? Five of them had oil in their lamps. They were ready for the bridegroom, Jesus, coming for his bride, the church. But he said there were five who didn't have any oil. In other words, they weren't prepared to greet the bridegroom when he comes to greet Jesus when he's ready. We want, to be, we want our, oil, our lamps filled with oil. We don't want to have them empty and go, oh, and Christ comes back and we're ashamed. You know, we, but we need to get serious about it, not just go, yeah, I got to do so. We need to every day be examining, say, is this the day, Lord? Is this the day you're going to come back, Lord? And then think, I want to get my act together. I want to make sure I'm walking straight. I'm on that narrow road through the narrow gate, which is Christ, not that big, wide, broad road that everybody's going. What did Jesus say? He said, enter through the narrow gate. He said, for, you know, wide is the, broad is the gate and wide is the road that leads to destruction. And what? Many enter through it. He says, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. We want to be on that road. We want to stay there and live our life always focusing. We should always be. I like David. When, in one of the Psalms, he said, uh, he said to the effect, oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, he says, I have kept the Lord bef always before me. That's the way we should be living. Keeping the Lord always before us like we're always walking and here is Christ before us to remind us. Like Brother Lawrence says, we need to be living, you know, practicing the presence of Christ that Jesus is, I forgot about you guys again, sorry, but Jesus is coming and we want to see him and we want to be ready for him. So he says, dear children, this is the last hour and this is the last hour now. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Now, the people during that time understood that there was one who was coming. Revelation calls him the beast. Daniel also describes him as a beast. And the Revelation calls him the beast. By the way, only John in his first and second epistle used that word antichrist. But the people knew what he meant because if you go back to Dan, and you know what, you want a homework assignment? Read in Daniel 8, Daniel 9, and Daniel 11 about the Antichrist who is not referred to as the Antichrist, but you will recognize him. In fact, here, I actually, so I didn't have to memorize him. I, uh, I wrote, it's, if you're interested, it's Daniel 8. It talks about the Antichrist 9 through 11. In Daniel 11, 31 to 38, and Daniel 12, verse 11. In those verses, Daniel describes the Antichrist without calling him Antichrist. But where else did they? There was also a, an obscure passage in Zechariah about it, about this shepherd who comes in. He's a bad shepherd. But I'm going to give you, I want to give you uh, just one thing. Would you go to 2 Thessalonians? Let me do it this way. Instead of me talking about it, let the scripture talk. Much better. <laughs> and when John says about that 
they know about this, that they've heard it. Exactly, I want to use the right words. He said, he says, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Now, remember, this is 90 A.D., A.D. 90. And when Paul writes First and Second Thessalonians, it's somewhere between 51 and 52 A.D. So here we have what? Almost 40 years ago, Paul writes that from, from the book of 1 John, now we're, we're turning back, we're going to the past, 40 years before that, he writes this letter, 2 Thessalonians. And look what he says to the people back then. And remember, for, in 40 years, in that Christian community, things circulated. These letters would circulate around. I mean, this is all they had. They didn't have a Bible at the time. They had these, these letters from the apostles. You know, and just the Gospels had just earlier had started being written. And John, uh, might, he might have written his Gospel around this time. But, so, but the people were exposed to it for many years and word would get by quickly. And this is what he, he writes in chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians, if you want to follow with me. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. All right, the reason Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians because there was obviously a fake letter that was written in Paul's name, and he says that there, or a letter supposed to have come from us. There must have been false prophets coming around, it says, like that, and some, some people were coming, making these reports that Jesus had already returned. He came and took he, he took the people. Actually, this scripture is dealing, most believe, with the rapture when it says that they were gathered to him in 2 Thessalonians here. But regardless if you believe it's the rapture or the second coming, I don't want to get into that. We'll, we'll be here for all day. But anyway, so as he's writing this, he's saying that I know there you heard reports that Christ has come and the Christians are gone. And so the people were getting upset. They're going, we missed it. Think about it. What if tomorrow nor next Sunday we come to church and only me and a few of you are here and all the rest of you are gone. Nobody knows where you went. The rapture took place. And we're standing here. I think we'd be pretty nervous at that point. <laughs> you know, we, we better do something quick here because we miss, they missed the boat, you could say. You know, we missed it. And what about those who were in their graves? And what about, and they were getting all upset about this. So Paul wrote this letter to them, and this is where he goes with this. He says, don't worry about it, he says. Now, watch. Uh, in verse uh, 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. He's letting you know, it didn't come, it's not coming yet. Until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. The idea of lawlessness is, is this rebellion. And John, and we won't turn there, but John in, in 1 John, he says, anyone, anyone who sins, you know, breaks the law and he says and sin is lawlessness so this is the man of lawlessness he's the man of sin he's describing he's describing the antichrist here and he says uh, here he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God he's antichrist the idea of anti in the Greek means like much like English against but it can also be in the place of. So someone who is against Christ, it's pretty easy to spot. But then there are those antichrists who are taking, trying to take the place of Christ. That's a little more subtle. It's a little trickier to find that. You know, they can come in like this person, but what they're doing is basically taking the place of Jesus here. So anyway, he says... <clears throat> 
here, the man doomed to destruction. This is the Antichrist. As we see in Revelation in, in chapter 19, he's cast, Jesus casts him and the false prophet into the lake of fire. It says where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's a frightening prospect. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. And that's in Daniel chapter 11, starting verse 36 to 45. Daniel, way back in, in the 6th century B.C., in the 500s, he talks about this. He describes this. It's not as clear as Paul is saying now, but you see, he sets himself up as God. The abomination of desolation is the, is the term that's used. Verse 5, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power or the mystery of lawlessness. Lawlessness is what, John says? Sin is lawlessness. And then he says this of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. All right, so he's being restrained. And most would agree that this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is holding back this evil. Think, if the Holy Spirit's presence was not in this world, if God said, Holy Spirit, come on back. Can you imagine how bad? This world is bad enough right now. But think about what it would be like without the presence of the Holy Spirit. And his presence is in his people, right? He lives within us, the Bible says. You know, and hopefully that's why Jesus said, you are the, 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 the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're supposed to be affecting our culture. Are we doing a good job? Are we helping to restrain evil too as the Holy Spirit comes through us? And the way, how do we restrain evil? We do what is right. We stand up and live a righteous life in, in Christ's power. That's how we do it. But anyway, so he says here now, and then, so the Holy Spirit is holding it back. Why? Because God is sovereign and God controls how history unfolds. Remember that. He's sovereign. I always used to like what... Uh, R.C. Sproul used to say, he used to say, if there is one maverick molecule in the whole universe, just one molecule, he says, that is a maverick, that it's not doing what God is commanding it to do, he says, then he's not God. Because if God is sovereign, every single molecule and atom and whatever other matter there is, I won't ask you, okay, but I just that what will happen is that God is not sovereign because he controls, if he is sovereign, he is all-powerful over everything. And especially that includes Satan and his demons and all evil too. He's over that. He controls that. He doesn't, he doesn't in a sense, God never does evil, but he controls that. And if God, he takes the Holy Spirit and he restrains this man of lawlessness, this man of sin, the Antichrist. He says, and he says that the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and, and destroy by the splendor of his coming. In, in Revelation 19, Christ comes back and the Antichrist and the false prophet gather all those who are against Christ, the armies of, quote, the world, that system opposed to God. And it says that Jesus, by the sword from his mouth, he just speaks and they're gone. They're wiped out. Just one word from him and it's over. And it says they're cast into the lake of fire and stuff. He says the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. And Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter 13, verse 22. He's at the, in the Olivet Discourse. It's also in Matthew 24. He says, For false prophets, uh, 
false Christs and false prophets, he says, will appear, he says, doing signs and miracles to deceive the elect if that were possible. But then he adds, <clears throat> so be on guard. That's a warning from Jesus. Be on guard, he says, because these false Christs at the end times, these are, Jesus is talking about the last days, he says, false Christs, false prophets are going to come. <clears throat> They're all antichrists. They're against Jesus. Okay, we're going to wrap up in a few moments here. Uh, <clears throat> and he says, in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They, and this last verse, I'm going to stop here. Uh, on, on this section when he says they perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Ultimately, Jesus says man is responsible for his decisions that he makes. They perish, he says, because they refuse to love the truth. John says that the light has come you know, into the darkness, but the darkness hates the light. Why? Because it exposes men's evil deeds. You know, when the light shines on us, oh, we can see what we really are. You know, if Jesus opens up my heart right now before you and shows you me, it's like, ooh, you, you know, you're going to shudder, you know, like that. If he does it to you, you're going to shudder too. So don't go, ooh, you horrible man, you know. But anyway, <clears throat> so what uh, I'd like to do here is go to First John, and we're going to end with, the next line I want to show you here. So this way we're prepared for next week as we start next week. So he talks about the Antichrist, but what these teachers are are also Antichrists because he says even now many Antichrists have come. Now what we can do is look back to John itself. Look at 1 John 4, 3. And this will describe what he's talking about. John says in verse 3 of chapter 4, But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So anyone, John says who does not acknowledge Jesus as God is the Antichrist. The, he is an Antichrist. He's not, quote, the Antichrist. We looked at him. That's the end times in, in Revelation that's played out. But anyone who does that is an Antichrist. In other words, they are against Jesus. Every day you encounter Antichrists. Anytime you go to a restaurant and sit down and the waiter waits on you, if they are not a believer, they're an antichrist because they're against Jesus. Now you may think that, oh, that sounds very harsh. You argue with John and John's getting it from God. That's God's word saying if you're either Jesus in Matthew 12, uh, I can't remember, I think it's Matthew 12.30. He says, Jesus says, whoever is not with me or for me is against me. And he says, whoever does not gather with me scatters. How distinct is that line? The Bible always makes, draws a sharp line. John says, you're in the light, you're in the darkness. You either have life or you have death. He says, you're either you're, you love or you hate. I love that about John. He draws a, a bold black line and says, you're either for Christ or you're anti-Christ. And what we'll do next week, I didn't expect to spend that long on it, but you know what? It's good, we, I think, we clear the, and get a little information about the Antichrist. Because next week what we'll do is look at the Antichrists. And remember, you live next time, your next door neighbor, remember that. And, we should, and that doesn't mean that we shun them, we should be loving them, right? We're called to love one another 
And hopefully, the way Sid builds a relationship with that woman in Dunkin' Donuts, and she sees this is a man who goes to church. He's such a nice person. You know, as his witness, that's the way we should be with those around us. You know, you work every day with antichrists, those working next to you who don't believe in Christ. If you don't believe, Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. You're either in his camp or out of his camp. And we'll look at those people next week and the danger that they're posing for the church that John's writing to because those people are filling the minds of, the, of those who are in the church and drawing them out. That's why Paul said to Timothy when he wrote to him, he said, watch your life and your doctrine closely. We need to watch our lives, how we're living, and the way we live depends upon what we believe. That's why proper doctrine is absolutely necessary. That's why we need to know God's Word. And with that, I'll stop and we'll continue next week. Lord willing, we'll continue if they let me. Okay, anyway. <laughs> if the Lord lets me and if the church lets me. Okay, anyway. Can we pray together? And then I'd like to ask us if we would, at that point, we'll sing a song together, uh, just a short chorus, and praise the Lord. Okay. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, you did not create us and just leave us here to to try to figure out things because we never could have, Lord. Because the truth is that sin has not only affected our bodies, but it's affected our minds and our wills and our thinking. And Lord, thank you that you've given us your word, but then you've given us the Holy Spirit so that those words we can understand and they can be clear to us, O oh God. Lord, how we need you. Lord, we desperately need more of your word in our hearts. The psalmist wrote, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Lord, help us to be hungry for your word and to not just memorize it, but to get it in our bloodstream, Lord. And Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit. We need your spirit. We need more and more of your spirit, Lord, to help us not only to understand, but to give us the power to overcome sin and darkness. And Lord, to have the boldness and the power to speak the words of Christ to others who don't know you, the Antichrists. Help us, O oh God, I pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for a place where we can come on Sunday and gather with other believers and put our focus upon you in worship. Lord, thank you for all that you've done, for all that you're doing, and Lord, for all that you're going to do in our church here. It's your church. Lord, please bless it. Please bless now the remainder of our time as we sing to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.